Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Advent is kind of this time of year where we actually are preparing for Jesus to come. And, and you know, he's come into our lives through Christmas, but we need actually a season, a couple of weeks to prepare us to make some space in our lives to welcome him. And so that's one of the reasons why we're kicking off a brand new series called The Family Tree, to help us make some space and maybe even pause in the craziness of this holiday season. By the way, holiday really should be holy days. I'm preaching, man. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. It's coming. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. We need some time and space to pause because, honestly, this is probably some of the busiest, most anxiety-driven times that we feel, isn't it? It shouldn't be, uh, but it is. And, you know, whether you're a believer or not, or Christian or not, this is a time of year that we know family plays a big part in this. And so I know many of you, you're preparing for families to come to your home, to gather together, to have a meal, to uh, celebrate, just, you know, do opening gifts and all these different things that we can do are our normal traditions uh, that, you know, we consider our family tree, right? It's part of our family, you know, our family stuff that we do. In fact, I know that for our family, we're going to be doing a little bit of traveling this Christmas season. My wife's family, they live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, so we'll be going to a little town of Bethlehem for part of Christmas, and then going to New Jersey, you know, pagan New Jersey for the other part of it. I love Jersey, you know. But I don't know about you, or if your family's like this, but sometimes it can be really hard to find a gift for family members, right? Like, what do you get, maybe a, maybe a dad who's got everything, you know, what do you get him, like another set of golf clubs or whatever it could be, but we're always trying to figure out what's the right gift to get for family, and maybe you struggle like I do to figure out what's the right gift, but maybe you've also noticed that every year there's some sort of gift that's like a fad, like everyone's doing it, like it's the thing that everyone does, and it actually ends up being a winner at home. Like, I remember one year, it was like, you know, when I was a kid, it was the Tickle Me Elmo doll, everyone remember the Tickle Me Elmo craze? Who got into a fight at a toy store over Tickle Me Elmo? That's cool. Like, I no judgment here. It's a safe place. Uh, but, you know, back a couple years ago, the big fad was doing the DNA testing kits. How many of you guys remember the DNA testing kits? There's 23andMe or Ancestry.com. In fact, uh, these became a really big deal. Back in 2017, this actually made Oprah's list of favorite things. So this actually kind of blew up all throughout culture. Real quick, how many of you have done, like, any of, like, Ancestry.com or 23andMe? Okay, quite a few of you have, yeah. And it's kind of an interesting way to find out where you've come from. And, you know, you know, Ancestry.com, their big thing is it's not about me, it's about we, the family that we came from, and how our past actually informs our present, which also can fuel our future. But you know what's interesting is that sometimes many of us can take that for granted. We take for granted that we kind of can know where we come from. I, I remember talking to a buddy of mine who was doing the 23andMe test, and I just asked him, why are you doing the test? He goes, well, Nathan, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm black. I said, I did. I have noticed that. And he goes, well, listen, Nathan, my family came to the United States through the transatlantic slave trade. So when I'm trying to figure out like, where I came from, there's no records. There's nothing that's written down. So I want to know where I came from. And so he took the test, he got the results back, and he found out his family actually came from Nigeria. 
And all of a sudden, it kind of opened up this whole new space of exploration where he was kind of looking back and and learning about his culture and where he came from and celebrating traditions and, and all these things that he never thought he had before. And he said to me with tears in his eyes, you know what, Nathan? I didn't even know what I was missing until I found out. It changed my life. It changed my kids' lives. They know where they came from now. You see, remembering our past gives us gratitude for the present but also fuel for the future. It gives us a better sense of there's something coming that's good that we can celebrate. And like I said, for a lot of us, this is something we take for granted. We know where we came from. But for many of us, we kind of feel like we're in this world. It's just ourselves. It's just me against everyone. But, you know, I don't know if you saw the latest Ancestry.com ad, but it says it's not just about me. It's about we. I mean, check this out. This is so interesting. Your ancestry is so much more than names and dates. It's the story of your family then and now. A story that made your name mean something. A story you're still writing. So discover your heritage. Preserve your traditions. Represent all that makes you, you. I love some of the lines in this commercial. The one that really kind of stuck out to me was this. Your story made your name mean something. Think about that. Your story made your name mean something. So long before you even existed on this planet, there was a family that was writing your story. Today you picked up the pen and you're continuing that story, but one day you're going to put that pen down and someone else is going to continue that family story, that family legacy. And if you're a part of the Jesus family, you know that our story is even bigger than that. We have a story that's beyond biology. We have a story that goes beyond time and beyond space and beyond geography. The family of God is so much bigger and expands at such a large rate. That's part of the family that we're in. We're part of those branches. And if you looked at Jesus and and, and tried to do like a 23andMe with Jesus or an Ancestry.com, there are actual people, flesh and blood people, that are part of the family tree of Jesus. In fact, they're recorded in Scripture. And so, you know, we actually call them the genealogies. And uh, one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Matthew, recorded them. Another guy who's a historian named Luke recorded these genealogies. And if you're a new Bible reader, like you're learning to read the Bible for the first time, these could probably be some of the most frustrating parts of Scripture you could ever read. All these weird names. You're like, who are these people? I don't see how they fit. Like, let me show you a quick example in Matthew 1. It says this, Ram. Who names their kid Ram. Is it like a truck name, or is it like an animal? Like, so Ram is the father of Amonadab? Like, Amonadab? Like, what is, uh, and then Amonadab is the father of Nisan, Nassan? Like, Nassau? Like, is this in the Bahamas? Like, where are we going here? And then Nassan's the father of Salmon. I know what Salmon is. What's a fish doing in Jesus' family tree? These can be really, really frustrating. Some of you are like thinking, well, Nathan, this is why I don't read the Bible. And listen, I get it, man. The Bible can be a tough book to read. But if you're patient, if you take some time to dig in, you'll find some hidden treasures that will come to the surface. In fact, that's what a monk named Herveus did in the 12th century. Herveus went through the genealogies of Jesus, all of these names, studied them, and he came up with these interesting threads. 
He basically said that through the genealogy of Jesus, you can actually see the story of redemption. You can see the story of God's rescuing creation from the beginning when you look at Jesus' story. In fact, he called this the Jesse tree. The Jesse tree. How many of you guys have ever heard of the Jesse tree? Okay, a fair amount of you have. That's awesome. It's kind of new to me. But it comes out of Isaiah 11.1, which says this. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So who's Jesse? Jesse is actually the father of a guy named David. David, who became one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. And out of the line of King David came the greatest king of all, who is King Jesus. And so from Jesse's line comes all these different people. And so Hervéus, this monk, and the ones that came after him, wanted to teach the story of redemption and restoration. And so what they would do is they would take the Jesse tree, the genealogy of Jesus, and they'd put them on stained glass. You can go to churches all over the world. On their stained glass, they'll have the Jesse tree. They also made paintings of the Jesse tree. I mean, some of these paintings are kind of weird. It's like a dude with like a branch coming out of him, the stump of Jesse, or wood carvings. Elaborate wood carvings. In fact, uh, many of you guys know this, that Jackie and I went to Porto, Portugal, and when we were there, we visited Porto Cathedral, this large ancient cathedral, and they had this beautiful Gothic wood carving of the Jesse tree that you can see here. It was intricate. It was larger than life. It was beautiful. And so the reason why there's all these very visual depictions of the Jesse tree is in the medieval church, the majority of people couldn't read, couldn't write, and we're poor. So how do you teach people the story of redemption, of God's rescue? You do it visually. You take what's written and you, you, you kind of create these images so that people can see them and understand how God did it. And so as part of the Jesse tree tradition is that you have Jesse tree ornaments. And what you do is you kind of go through them during the season of Advent. And it goes through from creation to Christmas. In fact, you know, this is kind of how we as a church are going to prepare for the coming of Christ during this season. And so, in fact, in our City Kids, we actually are giving away a special Jesse Tree Advent calendar. How many of you guys have gotten one of these already? That's awesome. There's still plenty of time for you to grab one today, and you're only three days behind, so you can catch up real fast. But this is a great way for you as a family to talk about the story of redemption, but also look at the entirety of Scripture. It's really, really powerful to do that. But like I said, there's Christians right now all over the world, and maybe many of you who celebrate the Jesse tree, that maybe you have a a tree like this that has all the different ornaments. Like, for instance, you have uh, this one here that talks about God's promise to Noah. Uh, This one's an angel of the angelic visits, the Ten Commandments. Uh, We've got all the different ones. This one's a heart that talks about just Joseph and his dreams. All these different images kind of link to different points in the story of Jesus. In fact, today, we're going to look at a story. If If you're watching online here, let me show this to our GoPro friends. This is a ladder, often known as Jacob's Ladder. Today I want to talk to you about one of Jesus' ancestors, a guy that maybe some of you have heard his name before, maybe some of you have not. His name is Jacob, and the truth be told, if he was in your family, you'd probably want some distance from him. In fact, if you did your family tree, you'd be like, I'm not going to add him. He's kind of a mess. He, he, maybe we can like snip this, this, this branch off the tree so no one really knows. But this guy named Jacob is actually an important part of the family tree of Jesus. And so I want to look at him today. And so, you know, just a couple, a little bit of background about him is that Jacob is actually the grandson of a guy named Abraham. 
Abraham is actually a guy that God said to Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, I want you to represent me to the world. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And so Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had twin boys named Jacob and Esau. And if you kind of wonder what was the relationship like between Jacob and Esau, I want you to think of Thor and Loki, okay? Anyone ever watch any Marvel movie fans in, in the house today? Online? Awesome. Leave some comments if you are. But this is actually, I think, the perfect depiction of Thor and Loki. Like, Thor is like this manly hunter-type guy, you know, warrior. That's Esau, who had the favor of his father. And then you have Loki, who's a little bit more deceptive, a little more quiet, a little more kind of in the shadows, favored by his mother, same as Jacob. Like, literally, the dynamic in that movie is very similar to Jacob and Esau, and so that's kind of the dynamic there. And so without getting too much into the background, there was a huge kind of flashpoint that separated them that really, really, that made things really, really difficult. See, what happened was that Jacob, being the smart, cunning, manipulative one, basically uh, fooled his brother into taking his inheritance. And then, and this is awful, when his father was old and dying and blind, he deceived his dad into taking the rest of his inheritance, leaving Esau with nothing. Now, you can imagine this was not a very fun prospect for Esau. He was very, very upset by it. So we're going to look at the story in Genesis chapter 28. So you can go ahead and start turning there. But without getting too much into the background here, let me read you Esau's reaction to what Jacob did. He says this a couple verses earlier. It says, Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau is like, I'm just going to wait for dad to pass away. Like, I don't want to upset him. I'm going to wait for him to pass. But after dad is gone, Jacob is dead. I'm going to kill him. Like, that's it. Dead to rights. That's how this is going to end. And so Jacob, being the manipulative one, the sneaky one, the con man, he just starts running. He's like, I got to get out of here. And he runs. And this is where we're going to pick up our story here, starting in chapter 28, verse 11. It says this. When he, meaning Jacob, reached a certain place, by the way, when you see certain place in Hebrew, it basically means, like, nowhere. He's, like, in the boondocks of Ohio somewhere. Like, it's not even worth mentioning where he's at. So, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. So Jacob, you know, he runs, he gets tired, he stops, he, he needs to rest, it's, it's dark out, so he gets this rock, and he, and, he, and he leans his head on this rock, and I think there's something really interesting about that imagery of Jacob putting his head on a rock, because we know he's a fugitive, we know he's on, a, on the run, he's a liar, he's a thief, he's a deceiver, but oftentimes when someone gets to the, real, you know, the bottom of their lives, you often say they've hit what bottom? They've hit, they've hit rock bottom. When a marriage is struggling, we see that marriage is on the, on the rocks. When, when someone is in a tough situation, we say they're between a what and a hard place? A rock and a hard place. The hard place being his brother Esau, who's looking to kill him. And literally the rock is what he's sleeping on in that moment. All this rich imagery showing us the state that he's in. But then while he's sleeping, what it says in verse 12, it says this. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait, Nathan, I thought 
I thought this sermon was Jacob's ladder, not Jacob's escalator, right? Like, what, what's up with that? Like, you know, well, here's what's going on here. You know, if you look at some of the older translations, you see ladder. But what a lot of modern translators are trying to do is trying to help us understand the culture and what's going on here. So this is probably more of a stairway, but it's more like a structure called a ziggurat. Let's go ahead and put this up here. Say ziggurat. Awesome. So a ziggurat in the ancient world, in Mesopotamia, this is kind of what they put on temples here. So literally, it's these ramps, it's these stairs. The idea is your God would be at the top, and you would be at the bottom. Your God would be up there kind of judging and, and looking down on things, and so if you wanted to find any kind of uh, uh, favor with God, you'd move your way up rather than, you know, than anything else. So that's kind of what Jacob is thinking. He's seeing, he's seeing this stairway, this ziggurat that's going up and down. And so he has this dream, and he sees angels going up, angels going down, and then he encounters God. Let me read you this encounter. It says this in verse 13. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. For your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So this is significant because remember, Jacob is kind of a nobody in the middle of nowhere, and God is saying to you, I'm going to make you somebody and give you some place. I'm going to give you land to call home. And not just you, but the generations that come after you will call this place home. That's the blessing I'm putting on to you. God has given Jacob this ginormous blessing. I know ginormous isn't a real word, but we're going to use it right now. But it's bigger than life. But then God gets real personal with Jacob. He says this in the next verse. He says, I am with you and will watch over you. Wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God gives this really personal promise to this con man, to this liar, to this deceiver. He comes to him and says this. He basically says, Jacob, I promise to give you my presence. I promise to give you protection, but I also give you my promise. You're going to be able to come home again. You're going to be able to come home again, and you'll be safe. You can trust in me. You see, I think some of you who are here today, you're just like Jacob. You, you relate to Jacob because you got a past. There's things that you've done in your past, or maybe things that were done to you that feel like they kind of hover into your presence. You've got past problems. You've got present problems. And you're wondering, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God in these tr- struggles and trials? Maybe right now you've got a, a pip at work. And you walk into that environment, and it's the worst. It's difficult, and you can tell that they want to get rid of you. You've got a present problem. Or maybe you're in college, and you picked the wrong major, and you're wondering, man, like, I made a mistake. I spent all this money and all this time and all this energy. Is it going to be wasted? You've got a present problem that could be a future problem. Or maybe you've got a past with addiction, with some sin, with alcohol addiction or drugs or pornography, and you've done some things that you regret and you feel like your past still hangs over your present and you feel it. Guys, I believe that God wants me to tell you something, and that's this, that God is not done with you yet. Amen? God is not done with you yet. His plans and his purposes will always come about. It doesn't matter what happened in your past. It doesn't matter what problems in your present. Your God is above all things and working all of those things for his glory. Amen? You need to hear that, church. 
You need to hear that, and you need to know that, and you need to internalize it. But here's the challenge that comes with that. You've got to wake up to what God is doing in the midst. That, that's what Jacob did. He woke up. Look, look what it says here. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Some of you need to know that God is at work in your place right now, and you're not aware of it. But he wants you to be aware of it. It says this, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob's thinking, you know what, God, I blew it, but you blew me away. God, I showed up in this place called nowhere, and you showed up here, and you showed off your glory. And in this place that Jacob is seeing this vision of angels going up and going down, it's one of the places the Bible talks about called these thin places. There are thin places between heaven and earth in our world today where we get a taste of heaven. Some of you experience that a little bit in worship. Some of you have experienced that when you, when you come into God's presence, these thin places. It's what Jacob calls the gate of heaven. When we experience God's kingdom in a real way. And so Jacob in this place senses there's a milestone that's happening here. So he says this. He says, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. So that... He, and, uh, I lost my place. He called the place Bethel, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. So essentially, from a stone pillow to a stone pillar. This is a place where the worst parts of Jacob's life, the hardest places, God redeemed, God restored. He was going to do a lot more. And so Jacob, in that moment, surrendered his life to God. Look at this, what it says here. It says in verse 20, And then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and, I will, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Nathan, that sounds like a negotiation. It doesn't sound like a surrender. Well, here's the thing. When you read the story of Jacob, it doesn't seem like there's much has changed in his life. He's still deceiving and lying and thieving. But I believe this was a moment where something shifted inside of him. God captured his heart before he could change his behavior. So in this moment, you got to understand, maybe some of you remember the time when you first came to Christ and you were still a mess. You were still kind of in that in-between place. You were still struggling between the old man and the new man that was coming about. That's what's happening here. God's able to work with this deceiver, with this liar, with this manipulator. God is working with him. And when you see Jacob at the end of his life, he has been transformed because he's been in the presence of a mighty living God. And that's what God wants to do with you and me. He wants to transform us wherever we're at in our journey with him. And what's interesting is all throughout the time, up until this point, Jacob referred to God as the God of my father, the God of my grandfather. This is the first time he's like, this is my God. It became personal for him. You see, this is why I love the Bible. It captures all of human, human nature in all of our brokenness, in all of our failures, in all of our flaws. And, you know, what's interesting about the Jesse tree here is when you look at the folks that are part of Jesus' family tree, they are all train wrecks. They are all a mess. 
You know, like you've got murderers in here, and you've got sex workers, and you've got adulterers, you've got thieves and murderers, you've got all these people that are in Jesus' family tree. So why, in God's sovereignty, would he put the Son of God in this spot? Here's why. Because God's not afraid to come into the messiness of our lives, amen? God's not afraid to get into the messiness of our world so that he can help us become who we're called to be. So he can rescue and restore us and rescue and restore the world that we're in. That is what God is in the midst of doing. And that's what he's in the promise of. Now, I was trying to think, man, I wonder if I could get an ancient Mesopotamian ziggurat to come here. I think that'd be fun. I couldn't, but here's what I got. This is our Jacob's Ladder for the day. All right. This is our ladder here. So Jacob, remember, when we find him, is at the bottom of the ladder. He's sleeping. He's kind of out of it. In fact, he's a mess. That's how we find Jacob in this story. He is a complete mess. Some of us would say, you know what? He's unqualified to be used by God. Others are like, no, he ain't unqualified. He's disqualified. Like, God should just kind of move on and find someone else. Like, Esau seems like a, a better guy. But notice, God doesn't just give up on him, even though he's a mess. In, in fact, maybe you're here today, and there's someone in your life, and you're sim- simply watching them continue to make a mess of their lives. They're making bad decisions in relationships, bad decisions in their career, in their finances, and no matter what you tell them, even when they ask you for advice, they don't make any changes, and you feel frustrated. Or maybe that's you. Maybe you're the mess. Maybe you're like, Nathan, I don't know what my issue is. I can't seem to get it together. I just can't seem to make it work. I just want to encourage you. God's still working your life. He's not done with you. In fact, let's look at this here in verse 13. It says this. There, above it, stood the Lord. So he means above the ladder. So, so wait, real quick. Where is God in this story? Where is he? Above, always look for where God is in the story that you're reading. A little Bible reading tip. It's a small detail, but it matters in a big way. He says this, I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So here's what's interesting is where we find God in this story is he is above, looking down at Jacob. Don't worry, we're okay here. <laughs> but, but he sees Jacob in his mess. And here's the thing. He sees Jacob's past, he sees his present, and he sees his future. God is sovereign. He sees the whole thing. But here's what's important to keep in mind. God is going to take Jacob's mess and turn it into a message. God is going to take this mess and use it for something. But he's going to make Jacob the messenger of that mess. You see, in that moment, Jacob, who is like this mess, has this moment with God. And he makes that moment into a milestone. He takes that milestone and he makes it into a monument. Guys, the things in your life that you regret, the areas of your life that you are like, man, like this is the worst. God wants to redeem it. God wants to heal you of guilt. He wants to heal you of shame. And he wants to use it. And guys, life can be shaky, but God is still on the throne. Amen? He's on the throne, watching over you. So maybe you look at the divorce as a failure. But you know what, God, he wants to take that divorce, he wants to bring healing and wholeness to you so that you can be a source of healing and wholeness to someone else in that same story. 
Maybe you have been struggling with addiction and you just can't shake it and you can't break it, but what God wants to do is bring you out of it, rescue you from that place, and then use you to bless others through what you've experienced. Or maybe you experienced the heartache of a miscarriage or you've lost a child, and while you grieve that loss and the Lord heals you through that, he's going to use you, use that loss to bless and care for others. Because here's the thing, you may look at the worst parts of your life and think, I ain't going to use that. But you see, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Qualifies the called. So Jacob sees God above him. But again, Jacob's still down here. And the way he relates to God at this point is as if it's a religion. And if you're wondering, what's the difference between a, between a religion and, and, and what Christianity is about? You see, Jacob would look up at God and think, okay, God, he, he wants me to act a certain way, and if I don't act that way, he's going to get me. He, he's always angry, and he's going to judge me, and he's going to crush me. And that's how many of us look at God. From that aspect of he, he's just there because he wants to punish us. And so we kind of walk in fear with eggshells. And that's kind of how Jacob lived. And Jacob was like, man, I have so messed up my life. It is such a mess. God wasn't wanting anything with me. But yet Jacob invited God to a relationship. See, the difference between Christianity and I think any other world religion is that Jesus invites us into relationship. Because here's, here's what religion says. Religion says, I've got to climb the rungs of the ladder. I'm the one who's got to make my life good, and I've got to live as perfect as possible so that God will like me. Religion is kind of man's way of reaching out to God. Man, if I could only be a little bit better, a little bit better behaved, make a little bit more, more money, be a little bit more successful, then I'll get to him. That's religion. But here's what's interesting. The story of Jacob's stairway is really about God coming down to us. And it's the story of God coming down and inviting Jacob into relationship with him. Now remember, Jacob is a schemer. So he's like scheming and he's working all the angles. He's a con man. Like, how can I take my brother's blessing from him? How can I get more for me? How can I get the inheritance? But here's the thing. He is scheming and grabbing and trying to get all this stuff. But God wanted to freely give it to him. Look at the promise again. It says this. I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. He's like, Jacob, why are you trying to deceive? You don't have to. You just need to receive. He says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and we will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. You see, Religion is about striving towards God, trying to get God to, to be impressed with us, to try to uh, make ourselves, you know, seem, you know, to work our way to salvation. But relationship is simply God inviting us to come to know him. And I, I love this because in, in many ways, the promise that God spoke to Jacob, because he saw Jacob as always trying to rush and always trying to hurry and always trying to earn. And he said to him, I'm with you. Some of you need to hear this. God is with you. God is with you. Well, Nathan, you don't know my sin. Your sin is not greater than the love of God. God is with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. And he says, I'll bring you back to this land and will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. I mean, isn't that what we celebrate during Christmas time? 
Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we celebrate during this time of year. That God has left the comfort of heaven to come to earth so that he could be with us. And to me, this is the bottom line here. And if you remember anything, remember this. It's that Jesus is Jacob's ladder. See, Jesus, the ladder, was the mediator between heaven and earth. Guess who's our mediator between heaven and earth? It's Jesus. The ladder was, was the bridge between heaven and earth for Jacob. Jesus is our bridge between us and God. Guys, Jesus came and died for you to bridge the gap between you and him so that you can be in relationship with him, so that you can know eternal life, so that you can know forgiveness of sins, have your guilt wiped away, have your shame wiped away, and have a new chance at life. That is the gospel. That no matter how dark our sin was, the love of God came from above and transformed us from the inside out. And that's what he still does. That's what Jesus does. He is Jacob's ladder. And all we need to do, he invites us to climb it. Jesus has already made the provision. You have forgiveness. There's grace. God is not an angry taskmaster that is looking down at you, trying to punish you for what you did right or did wrong. That's, that's not the heart of God. He wants to look at you as a son, as a daughter, holy, righteous, pure because of what he's done for you. When you become a child of God. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're wondering, Am I, is that me? Maybe you're here today and you're like, Nathan, I'm, I'm kind of been wrestling with whether or not I need to follow Jesus or not. Maybe today's the day you begin to climb Jacob's ladder. Maybe today's the day that you give your life to Jesus. Surrender your life like Jacob did, as imperfect and as broken as his was, maybe that's what your surrender to him is going to be like. And it's simple, because what Jesus has done for us at the cross, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us don't add up. We are all sinners. All we need to do is admit that, because that's when we can then go to B, which is to believe in Jesus. And this is more than just intellectually assuming that, yeah, Jesus is real, but it's putting your faith in Jesus, your trust in Jesus, surrendering your life to him, making him the president of your life, the CEO of your life, the king of your life, whatever language you want to use. It's that idea of surrender and then see, commit to Christ. Choose every day to follow him. Well, Nathan, what if I have doubts? That's okay, keep following him. What if I have questions? Just keep following. What if my life doesn't get better right away? Just keep following him. Commit to following him, and he will meet you every moment of every day. And I'm going to smuggle in a D, which is do it today. What are you waiting for? Some of you are here today, and you've been wrestling with this, with this, with this question for years. You're like, I don't know. I, I know that he's, he's Lord of my life. Do it today. Because you know what the benefits are? You get grafted into Christ's family tree. You get to be a part of the family of Jesus. A family that's beyond biology. So if your biological family has failed you, guess what? You have a spiritual family that can take up the slack. A family that's beyond time, beyond space, beyond geography that you can always lean into today. So I want to take you a moment to give you an opportunity to respond to this invitation. So would you go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads before we pray. Worship team, you can start coming up.
But if you're here today, and I'm talking to two kinds of people, two, one group, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'm talking to you. Or maybe you're here today and you haven't been walking with Jesus for a while. And you know you need to kind of realign your life and get back with him. If that's you, would you just go ahead and put your hand up just so I know, so I can pray for you? If you're watching online, you can go ahead and give us a direct message. Okay, I see your hand. Thanks. Put your hands down. If you want to begin or rededicate your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me out loud. In fact, I'm going to invite our whole congregation to pray this out loud so no one feels left out. But I think it's also important for us to rehearse the gospel in our own language. So let's all say this together. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe in Jesus. I surrender my life to Christ. I commit to following him all the days of my life, when it feels good, when it doesn't feel good, when I struggle with doubt, when I'm strong in faith. I commit to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.